Hi, my name is Ben Armstrong. Hi, this is David Koch. My name is Thomas Maurer. Hi, I'm Donna Sarkar. Hi, my name is Lana Montgomery. Hi, I'm Seth Juarez. Hi, I'm Aaron Thomas. I'm Jess Dodson. Hi, I'm Rocky Heckman. Hi, I'm Sonia Cup. Hi, I'm Troy Hunt. Hello, this is Wally Mee. My name is Reed Purvis. Hi, I'm Lars Kling. Hi, my name is Alan Birchall. Hi, I'm Adam Fowler. Hi, I'm Sky Guthrie, and you're listening to the Need to Know Podcast. All the latest Microsoft Cloud news, as well as industry guest deep dive conversations. It's a Need to Know Podcast. All thanks to the CIA Ops patron community. The Need to Know Podcast. Catch us on Twitter and Facebook, N2K Podcast, and online at ciaops.podbean.com. Welcome along to the Need to Know Podcast. My name is Robert Crane, and you join me for episode 287. Once again, I take the opportunity to thank everybody for their feedback around the changes that I've made uh, to the podcast. The biggest change is the fact that this now has a uh, visual version which I upload to my YouTube channel which you can find at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash director CIA ops. I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes which you'll find on my blog blog blog.ciaops.com. So there has been a little bit of action happening just prior to Microsoft Ignite. We're expecting that uh, around the 12th to the 14th of October. Now what has gone live with that is the session builder. So that will allow you to go in and have a look at all the sessions that are now available. You can then put those into a calendar ready for you to go through and watch those live if you want, but also to Watch those later on demand. So my advice to you is take the time, go through the sessions there and pick the ones that you do want to be notified about or do want to pay attention to first. And then you can catch them live when the event is running. Otherwise, uh, jump on those and grab the recordings uh, after the fact. So next up, we have uh, a good little article here uh, from Microsoft talking about the forensic artifacts in Office 365 and where to find them. Now, in essence, this is going to give you some idea or a much better idea around uh, the auditing and the logs that takes place in Microsoft 365. So, for example, it talks about the logs in Azure AD, Defender, Defender for Cloud Apps, and so on. So, for example, it will let you know uh, that the, the Azure AD logs are how they are retained. So they're generally retained for around 30 days, depending on the license that you do have. Uh, the unified audit log is maintained for 90 days if you do have E3 and up to a year for E5. So all the details are there. I recommend you go and have a look at that. It'll go through the Azure AD activity, the Office 365 activity, the portals. It'll also show you how to get access to that information via a URL, so via a web page, or using something like a PowerShell. So really handy to know how to go and find the logs and also how long they are retained for. So the other article I've got here uh, that has been brought up recently uh, in light of uh, the hack or the breach at Uber, Uber is uh, how to defend users from MFA fatigue attacks. So an MFA fatigue attack is basically where the attacker will continually attempt to log in as the user and then uh, force an MFA request and try and you know basically tire the user out, get them to uh, accept that, 
and then make that go away. So obviously when you do a fatigue attack, you're gonna to need to know the user's login details plus their password. Uh, and then you're gonna try and use that to constantly generate MFA requests and try and convince the user to click on that to make them go away. So this article from Microsoft here talks about how to prevent that and probably the, the best way to prevent that is to use what's known as passwordless login with number matching. So basically what that means is when you log in, the a number will be presented on the screen. You'll be required to enter that into your Azure AD um, auth on your mobile app. So on the Microsoft Authenticator, you need to match the number and that will then allow you to access um, your environment, your corporate data. Now, what Microsoft also provides in that is the ability for some additional context. So it will give you a map uh, of the location where that request is coming from, typically based on the IP address and also the application that is requesting it. So again, a good article here to understand and have a think about, okay, well, how are my users implementing uh, things like MFA? Because that is getting you know further into the defense of your of the user's account. So again, the recommendation is to look at passwordless login with uh, the number matching capability that comes to us with the Microsoft Authenticator. Now, what we also have uh, here from Microsoft is the fact that uh, Tampa protection is being enabled uh, by default. So the idea here with Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, uh, the Tampa protection is designed to prevent people you know, turning the Defender endpoint off. Uh, that was an optional um, setting that you could make that would uh, highlight that or generate alert. So this is now being uh, turned on automatically. Now, the article here will allow you to go and turn it off if you wish. It's got the steps in here, but the recommendation is you do generally want to know if someone's trying to tamper with your uh, endpoint protection. So go and have a look at this article. Tamper, tamper protection will be turned on for all enterprise customers to get the details uh, around that. Now, speaking of common attacks here, I found a good article again from Microsoft called Malicious OAuth Applications Abuse Cloud Email Services and Spread Spam. Now, it's interesting, this article, it goes into quite a lot of depth and if you are interested how OAuth applications and um, you know email spamming attacks are used, then I highly recommend you go in there uh, and have a look at it, read through to see how these things happen. Uh, but you know, typically what the article uh, highlights is the fact that accounts are compromised that don't have uh, MFA uh, enabled on them. So again, very, very simple stuff can prevent these sort of attacks. But the reason that I did include uh, this article was simply because uh, it really goes into some great detail to help you understand the attack method that people are using uh, to gain access to the machine and then what they're using that to try and provide. So why are they trying to uh, gain access there? So I recommend that you do go in uh, and have a look, have a read of that article to educate yourself and understand you know, what these sort of, sort of threats are likely to include when uh, a user is breached. So the next one here I've got is around what's new for Microsoft, uh, in Microsoft Endpoint Manager. All right, so 
probably the big thing here is the user-based uh, enrollments. So what that is going to do is it's going to ask users to verify the enrollment. Uh, one of the attack vectors we've seen is that if a user does get compromised and um, you know, they don't have stuff like MFA, then what an attacker will do will actually register a device as that user join that device to Azure AD and then use that 24 by 7 to go and try and leverage and you know do uh, more damage across uh, the network there. So again, that is now included. Have a read about that in the article. And we've also got uh, an autom Windows Autopilot log process included here. So some interesting updates and improvements there when it comes to uh, Endpoint Manager. And remember, this is, again, just prior to um, Ignite, which we expect to see lots and lots more uh, announcements coming out. Now, probably the biggest um, news since the previous podcast is the release of uh, a Windows 11 uh, update. So this is 22H2 update. So a couple of articles here to go in and have a look at and help un understand as to, okay, what's been added, what's been included. Some of these are quite uh, in-depth there. Um, I think that you know, to me, a couple of items really jump out here. So the first one is that virtualization-based security is going to be enabled by default. So this is basically a sandboxing uh, technology that is available in Windows 10 uh, and previous versions of 11, but hasn't been enabled by default and now will be. And that sandboxing environment is something into which the credentials for the machine and all the you know um, secure parts uh, of the boot up process uh, will be put into to prevent them from being uh, compromised uh, by uh, attackers there now importantly there is a slight you know performance um, you know hit for doing that uh, but most machines today modern machines will certainly have you know all the capabilities to achieve this and uh, the article here does go in and talk to you and show you uh, all about this. So again, things like Windows Credential Guard will be uh, enabled. And some other things in here which are very interesting are this uh, enhanced phishing, phishing protection with uh, Defender for Smart Screen. So uh, I'll put the, all the links to this in the show notes for the episode so you can go in and have a look at you know, what the additional hardening that Microsoft's doing, read about it uh, in detail. There's also uh, are some videos there you can go and have a look at. So there's a couple of articles there to go in and read about. So uh, one of them here is focused on the security uh, features that they have added specifically. So uh, one of the ones which I think is most interesting is this concept called Smart App Control. So what Smart App Control basically is, um, I suppose, a cut-down version of uh, Defender Application Control, so WDAC. Now, if you go to your Start menu and do a search for uh, Smart App Control, you'll see that uh, it'll be there once you have the 22H2 um, update installed in your environment. Now, typically when it is first uh, enabled, which it will be by default, it will run in evaluation mode. So what that's basically doing is it's looking at the applications that you use regularly and obviously it's going to make a decision as to whether you know they have um, certification, where whether they are well-known apps, whether they are something that 
uh, is not going to cause issues uh, and security challenges on your machine. Now, after a while, again, a little bit indeterminate, it will swap from evaluation mode to on mode. Uh, and then what it's going to do effectively, it's going to whitelist, you know, known good applications and the applications you already have on your machine and allow those to run. But for example, if you download something from uh, the web uh, that doesn't or isn't well recognized and is potentially uh, a threat to the environment, then this uh, smart app control will step in and prevent that application from running. Now, as I said, this is basically a subset of Windows Defender application control, which we can enable or have been able to enable via a number of different methods on uh, our Windows PCs here. Now, remember here that um, you know, effectively this is uh, application whitelisting. Now, interestingly, I will include the article, the support article from Microsoft here that goes into a bit more detail, but it seems from what I understand is that once the smart app control app control is enabled or turned on, then uh, if you do turn it off, which you can do, um, you'll never be able to turn it back off, right? So uh, Microsoft's recommendation is going to be to have it on. And the other interesting thing is that it's targeting this app at you know, smaller businesses, uh, those working standalone. It's not designed for enterprises, so it's really designed for the, the smaller businesses. Uh, be interested to see how it goes in an environment where we are managing that. Uh, there's not a lot of granularity. All of the decisions based on the applications uh, isn't um, shown to us. It's all based on Microsoft's existing technology. It's cloud database of known good applications and uh, processes. So again, you can have a look at it, but remember you need 22H2 to go in and uh, turn this on or see that feature. When it does start up, it will be in evaluation mode uh, rather than being on, uh, and you can always go in there and turn it off. But make sure you do read the documentation as to the impact of you know turning it on and turning it off in your environment. And those articles I said from Microsoft will also be in the show notes, you can go in and do a bit more research around the other features that have been included, but probably the majority of them are around you know, this enhanced phishing protection and also you know this smart app protection or smart app control, sorry, uh, that Microsoft has included in it. Now, when I went to go and try and update to 22H2 on my production machine, um, it wouldn't update, it wouldn't happen for me. So it uh, turns out that there is a blocker. So this update is only rolling out slowly uh, to a range of machines. And because of this new focus on security, I think we're going to see, you know, probably initially a lot of reasons why uh, this hasn't been or it's not being rolled out to machines. So I haven't got it on my production machine. I had to spin up a VM to go in and have a look and understand what these new features were. Now, if you do want to know uh, what might be blocking it, typically it's going to be uh, an uncertified driver or an unknown driver. I've got a link here to a GitHub repository from Adam Gross. Uh, he has got some PowerShell here that you can run that will spit out a list of reasons or you know, give you a little idea indication as to why your environment uh, may be blocked when it comes to doing this update. So I'll include all of that in the show notes. Go and have a look. If 
who are unable to get a Windows 11 22H2, then uh, run this PowerShell script from Adam, and you should then be able to have a better understanding of you know, what may be uh, blocking the environment and blocking that update. Fear not, you will get the update eventually as Microsoft you know, works out and uh, rolls out things in a manner which is going to you know, prevent any issues. The rumor I've heard is, for example, the reason that I can't get it is because I have Device Guard enabled and that's currently a blocker for my environment. Uh, Microsoft is aware of that and working on it. So hopefully by the next podcast, uh, I'll be on the latest version. But for now, it is uh, being blocked in my environment. And if you want to find out how, just go and run Adam's script and you'll get an idea. Now, the editorial that I wanted to focus on for this episode is another score metric that Microsoft does provide you in your Microsoft 365 environment. Now, this is known as the adoption score, and you find that by going into the admin area uh, inside your Microsoft 365 environment. And then if you scroll down to the reports option on the left-hand side, you'll see that under reports, when you expand it, there is something there called adoption score. Now, typically in most environments, adoption score is not turned on or is not enabled by default. So if you go to your admin center reports and adoption score, and it is not enabled, just click the button in the middle of the page to enable it. You'll probably have to wait 24 hours for uh, the information and the metrics to flow through. Once that has, then you can come back and you should see uh, a number of uh, different options here. Now, in the top right-hand corner, you will get a score uh, that provides basically a metric of, you know, how much of the productivity capabilities inside the tenant uh, is actually being used. So it's going to look at things like, you know, the communications mechanisms you use, uh, how many meetings, the content collaboration, teamwork, uh, mobility, um, you know, connectivity, all that sort of stuff. And it's going to roll all that up uh, basically into an overall score for you in the top right-hand corner. Now, that's all very good to look at as a metric and to use as benchmarking when you do want to find out, you know, are people making the most of things like Microsoft Teams and maybe Yammer, SharePoint, OneDrive, and so on. But where I find the real benefit is if you actually click on um, you know, the experiences here. So for example, uh, in communication here, you get more detail around that specific metric. But inside each one of these, you will find a link that basically says, um, you know, get more resources, so view more resources. Now, when you click that, you'll see that on the right-hand side, you'll get a notification that pops out and it will give you a recommended playlist. So that will give you a range of videos and you know further links to go and view for you know training and whatnot. Now, it's a bit disappointing, I suppose, that all of this is only in the uh, admin. It's only accessible to an admin. So what you can do is you could go in and copy all those links out and then provide them via another mechanism uh, to users. So maybe you copy those links out and then you provide them or send them to users via an email address or via uh, email, or perhaps you take them and stick them into Teams uh, or whatever, or look at automating them with Power Automate. But 
there are probably you know 50 or 60 odd um, you know videos in here if you go through you know all the different cards here so again if i go for example into meetings um, and have a look at that i'll get a different set if i go into content collaboration for example you'll see that there's another option here for the resources and that's got more links uh, in there as well that you can click on that will take you uh, to the videos scroll down to the bottom to actually go and get uh, additional articles provided as well now i'm not quite sure how often these change but again it's a great place for content i think it would be better if it was surfaced uh, directly to users um, rather than just the admin but it is there so maybe you can take that and you know get it out to users in a different way so again this is known as adoption score you find it in the admin center under reports it will give you an overall score of the collaboration features and services you're using in Microsoft 365 so this is if you think about your Microsoft 365 environment you think about the secure score tells you more about the security uh, status of the environment or product or this adoption score is going to tell you uh, sort of how much uh, people are using it to improve the you know productivity of their environment are they using the tools are they actually taking advantage of you know what OneDrive, Yammer, um, Sway you know the, uh, the capability to do video conferencing so on uh, are they really taking advantage of that so as I said typically in most environments this is not enabled by default so go in uh, turn it on, come back in 24 hours and you'll begin to get these metrics and then continue to use them and view them as a benchmark as well as taking advantage of uh, the links and the other resources that are provided in there. So hopefully that'll give you a bit of benefit and if you're looking to help users uh, learn about the advantages or what can be done in Microsoft 365, again go in and have a look at the adoption score area. Now that's pretty much it for uh, our episode today. The other thing that I'd like to call out for you is just to, again, invite you to join my Teams share channel. No cost to do that. I've got an article that will be in the show notes. You can have a look. There are some minor changes you need to make to your tenant um, to allow you to access this. And basically what that means is that you'll be able to view the channel uh, in the same screen in which you have your normal teams it means you don't have to do tenant switching and into that team I you know post a lot of news uh, benefit beneficial uh, links that I found that uh, you know high value I encourage people to go in and participate and you know share experiences and share other valuable information around Microsoft 365 ask any questions and so on so again that channel is available to anybody. Uh, read the article and then just let me know that you wish to be part of that and I can go in and invite you and give access. The other thing I'll call out finally is the CIA Ops patron community. This is a su subscription-based service that I provide that will allow you to get access to uh, my knowledge base and also training as well as automation scripts that will make your life easier when you're managing and working with Microsoft 365. Through a couple of different levels of that, go into ciopspatron.com, have a look at that. And again, the people who are my patrons that have signed up, 
um, you know, it's through their support and their continued subscription that I'm able to produce things like this podcast for uh, everybody out there. So again, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode. Hopefully you've got value. Don't be afraid to send me some feedback. We're still in a bit of a learning phase here. What works, what doesn't work? Uh, does the YouTube side and the video uh, companion you know, resonate with people as well? Hopefully the audio uh, does for most, but there is that uh, visual option if you do want to take advantage of that. All of the show notes will be in my blog and also uh, with the podcast as it goes out. You can reach out to me via the Twitter at Director CIA. You can also send me an email at director at ciaops.com. Any questions, suggestions? Also, if you do have you know any recommendations or suggestions or know people who'd like to come on and be interviewed, please, by all means, reach out and get them to get in contact with me and we can arrange that. Also, you know, if you are interested yourself coming on as uh, a guest and you know talking about a subject that you may be keen on around the Microsoft Cloud, I'm all ears. Again, reach out at Director CIA and also Director at CIAOps.com. But with that, let's wrap up this episode and thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to the Need to Know podcast from CIA Ops. For training on using technologies like SharePoint Online or Microsoft 365, visit www.ciaopsacademy.com. By purchasing from the selections available, you'll be directly supporting this podcast. To provide feedback on this episode, visit www.ciaops.com contact.